Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Good morning, Bridgewater Church. And I want to welcome everyone today, all of our family and friends. Perhaps you're tuning in to this message and our ministry for the first time. Well, what a great day you've chosen to be a part of this season that we're in as we prepare for Easter 2023. We're in a new series called Worth the Wait. When was the last time you were so excited about something that you could hardly wait for the moment to arrive. There's a story that I came across in the last few days that it, it really took me back to a time when dads who were expecting their children were told they had to wait in the waiting room. I'm glad I wasn't one of those dads. I was able to be with Kay with every birth, but... On a particular day, there was a group of expected fathers waiting to hear the news of their child's birth. And they were all in the waiting room together, anticipating what would happen. Soon, a nurse came in, and she announced to one man that his wife had given birth to twins. He was ecstatic. He said, that's a coincidence. I play for the Minnesota Twins. A few minutes later, another nurse came in and announced that this man, this father, was, uh, had just had triplets. That's quite a moment for me, he said, because I work for the 3M company. At that point, a third man passed out on the floor. After they revived him, someone asked him, are you feeling sick? He goes, no, but after what I just heard, I can't stand waiting for the news because I work for the... I'm going to start it all over again. Here we go. Hi, Liz. Let's do it again. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Bridgewater Church. I am ecstatic that we are here together. And whether you've been watching with us for some time or you're brand new today, I want to just tell you how excited I am because we're in a new series called Worth the Wait. And I don't know about you, but I was trying to think, when was the last time that I was just so full of anticipation that I couldn't wait for what was going to happen next? I immediately thought of a story that took me back to the days when dads had to wait in a waiting room as their wives gave birth to their children. Now, that didn't happen to me. I'm not that old. I had the wonderful opportunity to be with my wife, Kay, as each of our three children were born. But I love this story because there were three men waiting, and all of a sudden, a nurse burst in the room, and she looked at one father and said, you have had twins. Isn't that exciting? He caught his breath and he said, now that's a coincidence because I play for the Minnesota Twins. Well, it wasn't long after that, another nurse came in and she looked at a father and said, you are the proud father of triplets. He goes, wow, that's amazing. I work 
for the 3M company. Well, then there was a third man. He, this dad just passed out on the floor. When they revived him, they said, are you feeling sick? He said, no, but I don't know if I can stand the news because I work for the 7-Up company. I hope you're chuckling by now. It made me laugh because when I think about something worth the wait, man, every time my one child was born and then another and then our third, I was ecstatic and I was excited. Today we're going to begin to unwrap the details of four significant worth-the-wait events. They all take place during a week that we call the Passion of the Christ. This is the week after Jesus came into Jerusalem. He arrived on Palm Sunday. But then a series of events happened that would lead up to Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection from the tomb. Before anyone knew all the facts, everyone was wondering, as each of these events unfolded, what was really happening? What was going on? Would all of these things come together? How would they come together? And would it be worth the wait? So as we dig into each of these Passion Week stories, our first stop on the journey is a place called the Upper Room, and it, it's about an unforgettable, disturbing dinner. That's how I've, I've framed this in, a, in my mind. There is an unforgettable, disturbing dinner, and out of it, three life-changing questions emerge from our story. We're going to begin in Matthew 26, verses 17 through 19. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Here's the first question in our story. What will we do about dinner? Have you ever found yourself in that situation where you were starving, you were hungry, and you weren't sure what you wanted to do, but you knew that if you could find the right place to eat, it would be worth the wait? Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread began on the Thursday of Passover week. Early in the morning, every crumb of leaven was destroyed during a special search for the leaven ceremony. The feast honored the greatest event in the history of Israel when God's people fled from Egypt, having no time to bake any leavened loaves of bread. Instead, dough without leaven was used because it cooked very quickly. It produced a substance that, think of it like this, it was more like a biscuit or even a cracker. It was crisp, made only of flour and water. So at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, all leaven was destroyed as a reminder to the Jewish people of what it meant to escape in a hurry 
and prepare to leave Egypt and abandon slavery. Now for the Jews, leaven was also a symbol of purification. Therefore, ridding themselves of the leaven in their homes was a way of purifying themselves in the places where they lived. Now, there was another essential ingredient, of course, to the Passover meal, and that was the lamb. The last horrific plague that fell on the Egyptians in Israel was about the death of the firstborn. The angel of death swept through Egypt, killing every firstborn son in every house, unless the blood of a newborn lamb that had been killed was taken with hyssop, a hyssop branch, and it was put on the door frame of the house. Then when the angel of death would pass by, he would know to leave that home alone, and the firstborn male was saved. Now in Jesus' day, the lamb was taken to the temple and killed, and its blood was offered to God as a remembrance of the sacrifice in Egypt. Now let's, let's dig a little deeper into this meal of unleavened bread. To complete the feast, there were four items that were also added. There was a bowl of salt water that would remind the Jewish people of the tears they had shed while slaves in Israel. Another component of this, this feast, this meal of unleavened bread, was also bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. And the hyssop that retold how the Passover lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb was smeared on the doorpost. A third ingredient was a paste called sherasheth. And I, I'm not sure I pronounced that correctly for my Jewish friends. But this paste was made of dates and apples and pomegranates and nuts, and it reminded the Jews of the clay that was used to make the bricks while they were slaves in Egypt. Finally, there were four cups of wine that would bring to mind the promises of God. God had promised his people that they would be freed from slavery and redeemed by his incredible love. Now, why, why am I sharing all of this? Well, not only do I think it's interesting, but it's a reminder that we have a question we're answering. What will we do about dinner? Is a dinner like this worth the wait? Why is it so important? Because it's obvious it was vital to Jesus and the disciples. But don't forget there's another piece to this scripture. When the disciples approached Jesus and he said, we're going to prepare for the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they said, where do you want us to make preparations to eat the Passover? Now this is interesting because if you were Jewish and you were close enough, the only way to celebrate Passover was within the city limits of Jerusalem. Think about it. It's a madhouse. It's crazy. There's not only the residents of Jerusalem, but there's all of these visitors trying to find a place to eat a meal that was very intricate with so many details. Look with me at Luke, or, or at, look with me at Mark chapter 14, verses 13 through 16. This gives us perhaps a more 
clear insight as to what was happening. So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the, uh, of the house he enters. The teacher asked, where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left and went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. We're finally at the, the, the great need of this first question, this insight. What will we do about dinner? When I read this passage from Mark, I realize that Jesus took care of every detail. Some scholars think it was a divine intervention that put the thought in the owner's a mind to prepare a room. Others say Jesus had literally taken the time to reach out to the owner. We don't know for sure, but what we do know this. This dinner mattered. Would it be worth the wait with all the preparations? The disciples had no idea really what was happening during this week. That it would lead to a, a death and a resurrection. But I often think about us. What's our mindset about God? We struggle when answers to prayers don't come. Or if they do, we're often confused. Or if they're not the answers that we want, we begin to walk away from God. There's such a struggle to put our faith in Him in the most difficult seasons of our life. And think about it. Jesus prepared to give his life for our sins, but he never neglected one detail of the Passover feast. He could have easily said, we don't need this dinner because I am the fulfillment of the Passover. I am the sacrificial lamb of God. Instead, Jesus planned everything down to the very detail. This story actually gives a whole new meaning to the verses we find in Matthew 6, verse 25 and verse 27. Let me combine those and read to you what Jesus had said earlier. He told the crowd, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? We don't have to worry about what we eat or drink. Now, the details of this dinner were important, but, but the disciples didn't need to worry about what they were going to eat or drink. They didn't need to worry about all of the details, and we don't either, because God has everything in place, even when we don't see it. But when the struggles come, that's not the time to lean out. That's the time to lean in. Worry doesn't add one minute to our day. As hard as it may be to accept, when we place all of our trust in Jesus as our Savior, He's got every detail worked out. A disturbing dinner reminds us that God's plan is worth the wait. What will we do about dinner leads to our next question found in Matthew 26. 20 through 25. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. 
Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. Here's our next question. Who should God invite to dinner? Have you ever thought about that? If you had a big party, a banquet, there was a special meal that you were going to. Who should be invited to the dinner? I know that our daughter, our youngest daughter, uh, got married uh, about a year ago. And the invitation list was important to her. It wasn't really important to Kay, her, her mom, and to me. But it was important to her and her fiancé, and they, they took the time to think about each person because seating was limited. Wow. Then when the, when the wedding came, it was so worth the wait. And I couldn't help but think of that during the story and ask the question, who should God invite to dinner? And it's an interesting part of the story because this is the piece to the puzzle that really begins to shape the whole Passion Week and the direction that it's going because Jesus, after they had eaten together, he knew that a clarification and a confrontation was needed. Now, if you look at the details of the story, you realize it says that they're reclining at the table. In that tradition, their feet would have been out and the setting would have been very relaxed and very peaceful. The, the disciples had no idea what was going to happen later that night or into Friday. They weren't preparing for the arrest of Jesus, and they certainly didn't have betrayal on their mind. So when Jesus interrupts the dinner and he says, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, the words unsettled everyone. I even think it was unsettling to Judas who would betray him because what he thought was a very well-kept secret was now revealed. It was uncovered. Now, it only makes sense that each disciple began thinking, who's going to betray Jesus? And they started saying things like, not me, surely not I. But Jesus reveals the heart of his betrayer by saying, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Now just stop for a moment because sometimes we misunderstand. There are scholars and pastors who have literally said only Judas in this moment was dipping in the bowl. Realize that all of the disciples, because of the common culture, would have been dipping with Jesus in bowls. The bread, uh, the food that was created, the, the herbs. Uh, I, I think of in, in my mind how, how tasty and beautiful olive oil is when it's seasoned just right and we're dipping at a restaurant and the, it just begins to prepare uh, how exciting and worthwhile the meal is. That's what I picture here in my mind. 
At first glance, it would seem that it was only Judas, but really what Jesus was saying was to, to all of them was this. One of you, a close friend, who shares our common dish, is my betrayer. Now Jesus goes on to make it clear by using a title the disciples had heard him use again and again, how the pieces of this revelation are starting to come together. He, he uses the title Son of Man, a name reserved for the Messiah and the suffering servant talked about in Isaiah's prophecy. Jesus was anointed. He was the one who had followed through with the plan of God. Nothing could stop God's plan then, and nothing can stop God's plan now. God the Father would bring about the deliverance of anyone who would believe in Jesus as the Christ. But Jesus looks at his disciples, knowing the heart of Judas, and he says, Woe to my betrayer. Jesus explains a profound truth that we all need to wrap our minds around. It's unforgettably accurate that the redemption plan of God was anchored in God's divine sovereignty. But Judas allowed evil to penetrate his heart. The Messiah would become an open door for the forgiveness of our sins. Isn't that exciting, church? But Judas would experience eternal ruin because he chose money over God's mercy. Judas looks at Jesus, and like the others, he says, Surely not I. Now Jesus confirms the deception found in Judas's heart by simply answering, You have said it. You have said it. Not I. Jesus didn't say the words. Judas brought his own confirmation. This second question leaps off of the page for me. Who should God invite to dinner? Have you ever thought, if Jesus knew the heart of Judas all this time, why did, why did he allow him in to such an intimate setting? Was Jesus hopeful Judas in the last moment would change his heart? I, I think perhaps he was as friend and savior. But he knew as God, the heart of Judas was intent. Money mattered more than mercy. I think we have to ask ourselves, sometimes we forget that God's mercy is essential for every one of us. I can remember I was in India many, many years ago, my first trip. And we were all taken to a compound behind a school where a program was performed for us by Christian children. It was beautiful. But then after the, after the performance in the program, the doors were open, and anyone and everyone in the streets could come in until the place was full. And we had been instructed these are the lepers of the city, the untouchables. And we were, we were told, be very careful how you talk to them. Talk to them with love. Talk to them with grace. Because 
They sleep on the streets. Families that have been infected by disease. Social outcasts that no one will talk to. And they came in and we served them food. It was their dinner table. It was, it was something they had been waiting for. And then before they left, they were given just a little bit of money and each person was given a blanket. It was so well organized, but I will tell you right now, it wasn't the people that were impacted by the dinner as much as I was impacted by the dinner because I wondered, how did I ever deserve a seat at God's table? How far off am I from those that are greedy or those that are selfish, people that are sinful? That can describe me. And there's a twofold awareness in this question that we also have to wrap our minds around. First, who should God invite to the dinner? Everyone will be betrayed by a close friend in his or her lifetime. Regardless of whether Jesus knew it or not, totally human and totally divine, in his humanness I know it broke the heart of Jesus. Another question comes to mind. Will we be the ones who betray others, our friends? Listen, folks, I've seen it. People that call themselves followers of Jesus, close friendships that you thought could never be broken apart, but then because of selfishness, greed, getting our eyes off of our Savior Jesus, then all of a sudden there's a betrayal, and sometimes it's done to us, and sometimes we are the ones who find ourselves as the betrayer. And what about God? Have we ever disappointed God? Who should be invited to the dinner? Revelation 3.20 are shocking words by Jesus. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. How beautiful is that? How exciting is that? Anyone can hear the knock of Jesus at the door, listen to his voice, and when we know it is him and we are willing to recognize that it's his voice, all we have to do is throw open the door and invite him in and notice the picture that's painted. He will eat with us. Who should God invite to the dinner? Just as Jesus invites imperfect and sinful people like us to eat with him, we have to be willing to recognize his voice, come in and eat with him, and then we have to be willing to make room for anyone else at the table. It's not up to us to judge the heart. It's up to us to love with the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Let's finish the story. Matthew 26, 26 through 30. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when they had given thanks... He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out, to the Mount of Olives. Here's our third question. 
Is it worth the wait? This is a disturbing dinner. Is it worth the wait? Our last question cannot be ignored. Is this our last dinner together? Now, understand, scholars believe because of the writings in the Gospels and adding in insight from John that Judas left everyone confused, questioning, Judas left the room. Then sometime later, Jesus was ready to share an incredible moment with his remaining disciples. Judas had left because in his heart nothing was going to change it. He would betray Jesus just hours later. But Jesus takes two simple table foods and builds a bridge from earth to eternity. He begins with the bread. He says to the disciples, not understanding the moment, take and eat, this is my body. How how did bread become symbolic of the body of Jesus? What's he talking about? what's, What's going on, Jesus? As God had delivered Israel from Egypt, this Passover meal would be a meal of fulfillment. The Messiah had come to deliver God's people from their sins. The bread, as it was broken and handed to the disciples, was a reminder and would be in the future that Jesus' body would be damaged and sacrificed on the cross. Then Jesus took the cup of wine and and he began to pass it and he said, drink from it all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Isn't it exciting? The Messiah would save us from our sins. Not just then, but right now. Anyone listening to my voice Any person that is wondering or questioning, every person has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God is real. He must be glorified and honored. But he gave us an advocate in Jesus Christ to die for our sins. It would require a violent and sacrificial death. In the end, Jesus would die on the cross, a symbol of of what would be considered a curse. But the curse was turned into a promise of joy and excitement. Jesus said, the bread is my body. The juice represents and is symbolic of the blood that will be shed for the cleansing of sin. All we have to do is come to the table and eat with Jesus. Ask for his salvation. And it is so worth the wait. The third question, though, it lingers. It lingers in the minds of the disciples, and it still echoes through time. Is this our last dinner together? The disciples were, ha- were, were having a heavy feeling. It was overwhelming to them. And then just think, hours later, after they had sung a hymn and left for the uh, Mount of Olives, uh, Jesus would be arrested. There was Judas in the, in the light of the torches betraying Jesus with a kiss. It was a disturbing dinner. But it wasn't the last time that the disciples would be together. Do you, re, do you recall what I read? 
Jesus said, I won't drink of the fruit of this vine until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Is this our last dinner together? We often refer to this this dinner as the last supper. It was the last supper before Jesus was crucified, but then Jesus would come to life, and it won't be the last time that we eat with Jesus because for every single person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, an eternal banquet is waiting for us. And it is worth the wait. So a little over a year ago, my mom passed away. She was in the hospital for over a week to 10 days. Then I was able to get her moved to hospice. And she was still coherent. In fact, one of my favorite memories was walking in the first day that she was there and she said my name. She said, hi, Drew, how are you? I said, hi, Mom. I couldn't believe it because she had some dementia and she hadn't been coherent in the hospital very much. And so she said, how are you? And I sat down and leaned into her on the bed. And we talked together. Then she wanted to watch a Western. Maybe that's where I found my love for Westerns was from my mom. And we talked together, and I watched her go to sleep. Day by day, for five days, my mom prepared to move into glory with Jesus, her Savior. And on a Sunday night when I left her room, I was told, she'll be here, she's fine. I even called at 10 o'clock at night, and I said, How's mom doing? I'm about to go to sleep. Any change? No, Drew, there's no change. At 1.30 in the morning on Monday morning, I got the phone call that she was gone. But in that moment, I knew my mother was more alive than she had ever been. Was that time our last time together? No, because I believe in Jesus as my Savior. And when I see her and all the people that I love that have chosen to follow Christ as their Savior and made an intentional commitment to Him, it will be worth the wait. It was a disturbing dinner to to all of the disciples. But soon they would realize it was all a part of God's sovereign plan and it was worth the wait. I have a question. Have you given your heart and life to Jesus? Have you intentionally asked Jesus to be your Savior? There is no shame in saying no because it's a beautiful opportunity right now to do that. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and you can ask Jesus to be your Savior. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, are we living now like we will someday feast with our Savior Jesus Christ at the banquet God has waiting for us in his kingdom? It's really time to prepare for a celebration like never before. And we don't have to wait till heaven. It all starts right now.
So let's pray together. Jesus, I come before you this morning and I'm asking very sincerely, as the Savior who ate the, the meal with his disciples in the upper room, but is alive today and seated at the right hand of God the Father, I, I pray to you, Jesus, intercede right now for any person that hasn't asked you to be his or her Savior, I pray they would pray this simple prayer. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I ask right now that you would become my Savior and live in my heart. I hear your voice. I'm opening the door. Come in and eat with me. And I promise with your help, Jesus, that I will follow you all the days of my life. Father, for anyone that's prayed that prayer, may there be a celebration in heaven as you have promised right now. And Father, for anyone that is in need of committing their lives to you again, I pray, Father, right this moment that we would all begin to live today like we will eat dinner with you tomorrow, someday in heaven. Thank you for the anticipation because being with you, Jesus, now and someday in heaven is worth the wait. God, turn our difficult seasons, our disturbing dinners, into moments of grace and mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you so much. Wow, what a great beginning to this new series. Track with us every week. And remember that you're not alone. Reach out to Pastor Liz, our online pastor. Let her know that you've accepted Jesus as your Savior so she can celebrate with you. She'll pass that on to me, and I'll celebrate with you too. If you're struggling, let her know that. We're going to pray with you. You're not alone. God is doing incredible things, and I promise when you put your faith in Jesus, it's worth the wait. Until we see each other again soon, take heart and be transformed. Hey friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world for Jesus Christ.